Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am joined tonight by special guest, Mr. Matt Williamson. You know him as one of the co-hosts of the Dino Blueprint Podcast. His rankings for Dynasty are up at 4 for 4. He's formerly worked for ESPN and a variety of other spots. Matt Matt, thank you so much for coming back to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Yeah, man, it's great to talk to you, Paul. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. NFL draft now. It's about three and a half, four weeks in the books. Still so much to kind of digest. There's rookie drafts going on. I know you and Ryan been talking a lot about ADP and the rookies. Same here over at Saturday to Sunday. So I just really wanted to have you on and kind of pick your brain and kind of hear what you kind of make sense of this rookie class a little bit. It was an intriguing class before the draft. And I don't think there's been a whole lot of clarity at some of the positions even after the draft. So still trying to make some sense of it. So I thought it would be a great time to have you on. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I've been doing a lot of writing for four for four. My dynasty ranks are over there, my rookie ranks. Um, And yeah, the draft does tell you a lot. I think it's crazy to ignore landing spots and all those things. So things have changed quite a bit for me. And I've also done a handful of rookie drafts. And it's different. uh, You know, writing your top 50 rookies is a heck of a lot different than when your pick comes up, who do you actually take? And so as I do rookie drafts, I get a much better feel for, boy, I don't really like this area, or I'm going to trade out of this. And I found myself accumulating a lot of picks for next year. And I follow your work a lot, and I think you guys have a better feel for upcoming draft classes. And I know you can fall you know, fall trapped to this, but I'm, real, I'm a lot more excited about next year's class And I think it's a golden opportunity to acquire future picks. Yeah, 
we're right there with you. Right. You know, it's it's one it's one of those things that like I look at this draft and like I don't really you know I see a couple guys at the top that really intrigue me, and then like yeah. I feel like the next tier is really wide. There's not much difference between like pick five, six, and like say like you know maybe early into the second round. There's marginal difference, but totally people right. get. People get really excited right now after the draft, and I do think you can people can capitalize on that and turn them into picks for next year if you really have the foresight to kind of look ahead. And you know, I think next year's you know running back class you know is gonna is gonna be really strong, better than this year. And I think next year's wide receiver class is gonna be fantastic. I have some reservations that I think people are hyping up the quarterback class, and I'm not really sure that's gonna be better next year. But I do think the running back class is gonna have more top-end talent, and I think the wide receiver class, while this year had a lot of depth, I didn't think that the NFL looked at this year's class as being a lot of stars and a lot of studs, and then we saw that with the, the you know, you know, not a lot of first-round picks and more at the back end of round one than the early part of round one, and I think next year that's going to be very different. I think we have a, a possibility of having, you know, four or five wide receivers in round one, couple in consideration into the top 10 or top 15, and a couple other running backs that maybe even have a shot to go ahead of Jacobs. So I think in that regards, the running back in the wide receiver position has a legitimate chance to be stronger next year, and I think people can, if they can get out this year, I think they get out because I, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of fantasy gold in this rookie class this year. Yeah, I 100% agree. And the guys that I like, and like you said, at the top of the draft are guys that most years, like, for example, David Montgomery, Nikhil Harry, Miles Sanders. Like, most years I look at those guys and think, that's the seventh pick in the rookie draft, the fifth mm-hmm. pick, you know, maybe the eighth, not two, not three. And then you get that next year like you talked about, and I can make an argument that number five – is the same as two, three, you know, I mean, that, that whole tier, I don't want to be picking at the top of that tier and talking about next year's class, which again, I'm not real well versed on, but you look at Dane and Mel and Todd's way too early mocks and you guys that are digging into this and we're talking to Ryan, there's wide receivers everywhere. So even if a couple of those guys don't hit and we know things change so drastically, I'm going to go with the people I trust like you guys instead of looking at this class and saying, boy, I'm going to manufacture the fifth overall pick in this rookie draft because, yeah, they're fine. I mean, DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown. I mean, I wish they were on my favorite team, but I just don't know what the value's there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know what? A lot of people are in rookie drafts right now, getting ready for their rookie draft. So let's at least try to make some sense of some of these positions. But it's hard, dude. You know, like it's all hard. you guys listening, you're going to be like, oh, but my pick's up. I'm going go, <laughs> to move up for this guy. Be cool. Trade back. Get a future first. And even if you don't add one of these stud receivers next year, in week six, you have that future first. You might turn that into Keenan Allen and go win your league. Like this, it's 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 a marathon, guys. It's not a sprint. Absolutely. And I even like your idea of like, say you have pick five or six and you can maybe fall back to two, one or two, two, even if you can get a second round pick next year, Mm -hmm. I might be willing to do that, you know, just to start accumulating picks for next year's draft. Because like we said, there's not a lot of difference between pick five, pick six and early in the second round. So get who falls to the early second round and start accumulating picks for next year, which, you know, give you more ammo to do things you might want to do next year in the draft. Yeah, so, or even one of these young receivers. I mean, you know, go get DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley. I mean, Corey Davis. Some of these guys that they're a little more established. If you want to be even more win now, but I just don't love using the fifth, sixth pick in these rookie drafts for what's going to be available. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. So let's start at the quarterback position real quick, and we'll just hit on a couple quick hitters. Obviously, quarterback's always a little devalued unless we're playing super flex or two quarterback leagues. So my first question is, are your ranks pretty much the top consensus of Murray, Haskins, Jones, Locke? Are those the four? And if they are, we don't need to really go through that again. If not, what do you think about long-term upside with them? Do you see any of these guys, whether it's a, a player in the NFL they re- they resemble and you think they can pr- put production like that, or even just in fantasy is simple, I think he could be a quarterback one, top 10. I think he could be you know quarterback you know two, a high-end two, or top five, maybe Kyle Mur- Kyler Murray or somebody like that. So are your ranks pretty much a consistent Murray Haskins, Jones, Locke? Yeah, and I will say, and this goes against my beliefs for Dynasty, that if you're that owner it's picking at six or seven and you grab Kyler Murray and because your quarterback situation's rough right now, I can understand it this year. You know, you couldn't trade back and get a lot of value. You're light at quarterback because I think he will provide immediate results and long-term results. And I love the scheme. And I think he falls into a good situation and they're starting to build around him. So I wouldn't say that most years, but this year, if you are going to grab Kyler Murray, I probably won't condemn you in the middle of the first round of a rookie draft. And a lot of that's by default, you know, instead of Debo Samuel or Nicole Hardman or somebody like that, I could certainly understand it. But yeah, for the most part, I am. Um, Haskins' inability to really do much with his feet worries me, but I like him a lot better as a prospect than Jones or Locke. I think Jones and Locke will run quite a bit going forward. And I also think both you know, look like they're blocked for the short term, but that's going to dissolve quick. I mean, is Eli and Flacco going to keep those guys off the field? I I bet both of them ends up starting by Thanksgiving or so. I don't think either one of their teams are going to be big time contenders. And then if you're in a super flex or something along those lines, stash Will Greer. I mean, I just don't trust Cam's health. And I think Norv Turner wants more of a traditional passer than what Cam brings to the table. I mean, Ryan and I were talking about this on the last blueprint. I mean, Cam's had a great career, but he's not for everyone. And if you're a new offensive coordinator uh, and you're making me use his skills, good and bad, and his good ones are deteriorating so quick, I would take a flyer on Greer. And I think he'd be a really good point guard with a lot of fun weapons in that offense. Maybe. I'm not saying he's going to hit, but he might. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, Greer for me was my number four quarterback pre-draft and he was basically almost number three too. Him and, him and Drew Locke were pretty interchangeable for me. You know, so I kind of like that landing spot. I think you're right about Cam. I mean, he never was a guy. He was always a guy that was more product of the whole thing. His ability to break tackles, use his legs, you know, make a big play in a big spot, but. If some of that is, like you said, deteriorating and he doesn't have those physical capabilities to run as much or take the pounding that he did, you know, then you start to say, okay, well, then the negative aspects of his game are going to be a little bit more shined and and looked at a little bit closely. And you're right. You could see a team, you could see them moving on and them wanting a more traditional guy. And I like Greer, his moxie. I always thought he had a little Baker Mayfield in him, you know, in terms of he had a kind of straddle that line between aggressiveness and recklessness. And I think that's something he's still got to probably learn and adapt to, but I like his game. I like that landing spot because I do think he might get an opportunity there. And and just going back to Haskins real quick, I know you said you liked his game. I mean, do you see a scenario? Like, could you see him down the line being a top six, top eight fantasy quarterback or, you know, without no. that running ability, you know, and, and there were some legitimate questions about him. It seems like as well going into the league with that. So you're not, you're, you're not seeing him on that level. 
No, but I, I'm not saying I wouldn't like like him to be my my favorite team's quarterback. I mean, if they protect him, they did draft two linemen in the mid rounds. Health is such a problem with the Redskins on the offensive side of the ball of late. But I do think you know, Geis, Peterson, Trent Williams, Brandon Schreff, you know that that is a nice landing spot for him. And hopefully next year they get him a receiver or two. But I think he's more. Matthew Stafford, you know, for fantasy. You know what I mean? Like a pocket passer that can win football games, but probably isn't going to win you many weeks. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that Stafford, in terms of fantasy capabilities, is, is a pretty good spot on. Could he have a season where he's like QB8? Sure, but he, most times he, if he hits his ceiling, he probably would be a guy in that quarterback 10 to quarterback 14, quarterback 15 mm-hmm. range. Makes right. a lot of sense. So let's take this to the running backs. And right at the top, I got to ask you what your rankings are of that supposed big three. The people, obviously, Josh Jacobs, you know, at Oakland, Miles Sanders with the Eagles, and David Montgomery of Chicago. It seems like that is a significant tier in its own right before a, a pretty substantial drop-off, depending on what people think about Todd Gurley and his health concerns which we'll get into but what are you making sense of that jacob sanders montgomery are they your top three in a row in terms of overall big board do you think those should be the guys at the top of all rookie drafts i think jacob stands alone in this rookie draft and he is my 11th overall dynasty running back in the dalvin cook you know todd Gurley. unfortunately is in that neighborhood too um, Aaron Jones range, and he might go past those guys. He may be Nick Chubb for me, uh, Melvin Gordon neighborhood. I like his landing spot a lot. I'm a big, big believer in the talent. Um, the receiving skill to me is tremendous. And then I think, you know, dep- Nikhil Harry aside, I think Montgomery and Sanders are kind of a tier by themselves. And I like Montgomery slightly better. Because And I think Sanders has the more talent. He actually went to high school right down the street from us here in Woodland Hills, which is kind of a football factory, five-star recruit. Um, But he's a fumbler. And I think Montgomery has an outside – or not an outside shot. I think he's got a legit shot to be a major rookie fantasy producer and might be rookie of the year this year. I love where he fell. Yeah, I mean, I think I always think it says a lot when a team makes a trade up and then yeah, go gets yeah. a running back. You know, I remember thinking last year with Carryon Johnson because not a lot of people were in love with Carryon Johnson prior to the draft. I know I was someone who had him in my top five, and then I, I love that the Lions were really aggressive in going to get him. I mean, the Bears came into this draft with not a lot of draft capital, due, mostly due to the Khalil Mack deal, which I'm sure that they don't, uh, you know, they don't regret that at all. And then they still made a bold, aggressive move to go get. David Montgomery giving up a pretty significant, you know, asset next year. I don't know if it was a second or a third round there. I forgot off the top of my head, but they gave up a pretty significant asset to move up and go get him. So I, I think they do have big plans for him. And I think he is a sneaky under the radar rookie of the year candidate because he's probably going to be, you know, see a lot of work this year. I don't think necessarily Tariq Cohen's going to lose too much. I think there's room for both of them there, but I think they probably look at him and see a Kareem Hunt style player and think that he could be a pretty important role in there and then the Miles Sanders thing I think the biggest question that is unknown is what they want to do in Philadelphia have they never have they never had a talent to have a true three down workhorse running back or that's just and that's why they always go the committee approach or is that just what the coach wants and I think we're going to find that out a little bit about Miles Sanders because he does have some three down capabilities if he can keep the fumbling in control yeah I agree with all that and 
I think Sanders' ceiling's very high, but I'd be very shocked if he reaches it in re- in year one. And I know Jordan. I mean, it's, it's interesting because Howard's leaving one of these teams and going to the other. But I think he's still a good football player. I know he's not. I know he's much more suited for 1990 than he is now. But you hand him the ball, he's going to get yards in Philadelphia. And if Sanders puts the ball on the ground early on, it might just be a, okay. You hang out and you learn while we hand it to Howard, and we th- we don't need him as much as a receiver because we're going to throw it to Ertz and. Goddard, who I love, and you know, a good group of receivers, including Arkea Whiteside. And so I just don't know that his path to early production is as clear. And I think Montgomery's is very, very clear. And Cohen doesn't worry me, like you said. I mean, I like Cohen a lot. Again, I want him on my favorite team, but I think they look at him and say he's a 12 touch a guy, you know, t- touch a game guy. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that's spot on. And yeah, Jordan Howard, they did trade and there wasn't a lot. They gave up a sixth round pick, but he is going to see some work this year as well. It'll be interesting to see if the Bears just kind of basically put Mike Davis on ice and all, or if they, in the, at least in the early get go, if they see like they want to try to feel like they got something out of that contract, if they work him in a little bit, which maybe Montgomery starts out not getting as many touches as we might think, but I feel like the talent will quickly rise to the top there. And, you know, and within a few games, they'll start to realize that Montgomery, you know, should be getting the bulk of, you know, those carries that are not going to Cohen and stuff like that. So it's going to be fun to watch. Trading up for him when you don't have a lot of picks, it says a lot. I mean, I thought that was their number one need or right at the top. And they were aggressive to do it. And the sporting cast there is pretty good. I think the coach will use them well. So I like the landing spot a lot. Yeah, and speaking of trading up, let's use that as a pivot to the next guy who I feel like is a very much like it's hard to really pigeonhole him because – we don't know what to make of Darrell Henderson with the Rams. The Rams traded up for him. Is it a sign that they just want someone to compliment Gurley? Is it a sign sign that, you know, Gurley really maybe has something going on, arthritis you've heard, and other things with the knee? And who knows what it is. But first off, what do you think of Henderson's talent first? And then how are you even approaching him in rookie drafts? Are you acting as if Gurley's going to get a reduced workload, major concerns with Gurley. I, I, you said before you had him like 11th or 12th or in that area in your overall dynasty running back ranks. What are you making of Henderson? Yeah, I have Henderson as my seventh ranked rookie. I haven't landed him yet in a handful of rookie drafts, and that doesn't break my heart, and I also wouldn't mind taking him either. I do think he's a very good scheme fit as an outside zone runner. And I absolutely trust that coaching staff, McVay, of course, to use him in the receiving game plenty if Gurley is not the man. And I've been saying this, I've been doing this for 19 years, and I say it all every offseason, right around the draft, that, boy, the teams tell you what they think by how they draft and how they spend their money in free agency. And we saw at the end of last year, I have a hard time backing Gurley. I mean, they just gave him a lot of money. I get that. But, man, they use C.J. Anderson a ton. I think there's an obvious worry with the guy that – and at the minimum, I would think – I mean, worst case for Henderson, I think, is the way you look at this. is The the, the high end for Henderson is he's a top 10 back, and he becomes a man in, in L.A., and that's an awesome role, and Todd Gurley doesn't have a long career, and that's sad, but oh well. And I think minimum, though, they look at it and say, we can't give Gurley the same number of touches we did, you know, when he's league MVP type of guy. Let's reduce that by 15, 20%. Let's use Henderson as a change of pace. And he turns into Tevin Coleman with the Falcons or, you know, something like that. Still a useful player, 
You're not thrilled to use that first round pick on him. But that's to me is his floor. And again, that's kind of why you get out of the mid first round picks. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And you mentioned before that you said Henderson was your seventh rated rookie running back. In my no, I'm sorry, seventh overall rookie. I said that wrong. Oh, okay, seventh yeah, overall. Yeah. Okay, because I was about to say, does that mean right. you have? Okay, like better him, right? Okay, I was like, okay, so I was like, I was like, I haven't, I haven't talked to someone that had the next tier, which is what I have, because Henderson for me is my fourth ranked rookie running back, obviously, yeah. and then. Damian Harris, Justice Hill, Devin Singletary, all got some draft capital attached with them, all have some intriguingness in terms of landing spots. What are you making sense of them? Do you think Harris with Michelle there, what are you thinking about that situation? Could Justice Hill become a a pretty substantial player in that Baltimore backfield, adding a very different element than Mark Ingram and, you know, Gus Edwards and those guys. And Devin Singletary, do you think he's got a shot to be their starting running back down the line? Because I have a lot of reservations that I think Buffalo is probably going to look to invest in a big-time young running back next year that I've been kind of – Singletary is a guy that I feel like where I'm going to have him ranked, I'm probably not going to get him. I never get him, and I don't want him. I, I, I'm thrilled every time he gets picked. Um, I think he's a lifetime number two. And like you said, I think either next off season or the one after that, they will get their bell cow and it's not him. I think he's a complimentary guy all day long, maybe even this year. I bet Yeldon leads the team in rushing and I don't even like Yeldon that much. You know what I mean? And I don't think McCoy will be there. I, I think the, the bills back to own is a guy to be named later. Um, Hill excites me. Because you look at that Ravens offseason, and on offense, it's all about adding speed. I mean, Boykin and Brown, I mean, they are fast now on offense, even a tight end and obviously a quarterback. And he's probably the most athletic of the top backs. But he's got a fatal flaw, too, you know, kind of like Sanders, that he's not good in protection. So this may be a year or two removed or he gets on the field and it's too much of a tell for opposing defenses and Ingram ends up being the guy and getting past Ingram on the pecking order is going to be difficult. So I'm not in love with Hill either. I was really low on Harris until he got drafted by the Patriots. And to be very honest, until my man Ryan McDowell started talking to me, the beauty of Harris. So I now have him as my 20th ranked rookie, which before he was, 30, 35. And that's still not super high because I think he's kind of a pedestrian runner. But it's a red flag to me in a big or a, a good red flag that Belichick drafts a Saban guy. Like we know the connection there. I've been dumping my Sony Michelle stock well before the draft left and right. I didn't think he looked that great in an NFL uniform. I think the knee issue is very scary much like a girly situation, but I don't think people react into the New England backfield as drastically as they are the Rams. Yeah, I mean, I when I watched on Michelle last year, I know we had some really good games down the stretch in the playoffs, but to me, he didn't look explosive. He didn't no. look he looked like a guy that you could have put 25 other guys in that Patriot scheme in that offense, and they would have done pretty much the same yeah, thing. Right. And they never throw him the ball. Yeah, and, and I thought he had some more breakdown capabilities, especially when the Patriots did invest of all teams in him in the first round. You thought maybe, Absolutely. okay, maybe they're going to break away from their mold of wanting to, you know, have such specialized roles for their running backs, but he didn't. I, and I don't know if that was just, oh, it's his rookie year. He was injured early on. 
I just kind of think that's their their mo right now. And and maybe when Brady's gone, maybe that changes. But they're not going to take James White off the field for substantial work mm-hmm. with how much Brady trusts him. And they like Burkhead doing a lot of different things. And and now Michelle's there. Now Harris is there. And yeah, listen, if no Sony Michelle's there. Damien Harris is probably going in the top six or eight picks in rookie drafts because yeah, people, exactly. people right. would be looking at him and saying he has 10 to 14 touchdown potential and they'd be right. And you it's know, only so, been one year, but we know Sony Michelle has knee problems. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so why isn't Harris maybe the guy you take in the middle of the first round? I maybe he should be. Yeah. And it goes kind of goes back to what we said before. You know, you're you're sitting there at pick six. If you can trade down to the early to mid second round, you probably can get Harris there and might be able to pick up a substantial asset for next year or another player at a different position that maybe, you know, you're you're lacking in terms of your depth. And and you can get Harris and who knows, his upside might be greater than whoever you're gonna take at five or six. Yeah. So yeah, inter- interesting there. Is there any other the more I talk to you and Ryan and people like that, I'm like, why don't I like Harris? Because I didn't love his <laughs> take, you know. I mean Yeah. Is there any other running back? I think a lot of the other running backs are kind of like in potential handcuff situations. Is there anybody that intrigues you a little bit more than the rest from Madison behind Cook, Raquel Armstead behind uh, Fournette, Benny Snell behind James Conner in Pittsburgh, Dexter Williams behind the Green Bay guys. You have the two guys that the Bengals drafted, Ronnie Anderson and Travion Williams behind Joe Mixon. Any of those guys intrigue you more than anybody else from that group or they're all kind of pretty much the same wait and see or is there one from that group that might pique your interest a little bit more there's not one that i jump up and down about but it might shock people that i have madison snell and darwin thompson ahead of singletary but not by much i mean they're all together to me um i don't love james connor i know i'm i'm a pit guy and a steelers guy so i'm supposed to love this guy and uh, he's easy to root for, but I think he's just okay, and I don't know that he's going to be the long-term answer here in Pittsburgh. Maybe he's only a one-contract guy, and I could. And he's injured a lot. I mean, and if Snell gets – and to me, Jalen Samuels is no competition. He's a much different player. He's a receiving-only type of guy. So I can. it's not hard for me to paint a picture of Snell getting a lot of carries behind a really good offensive line. Um, and same thing's true for Madison. I'm such a cook fan, but how can you ignore the injuries with that guy? I mean, he's been off the field a ton and that friendly Kubiak offense in Minnesota, whoever the running back is in Minnesota, I want to start every week. And it's not that far fetched to see Madison as that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are some people that even think Madison could have some standalone value like Latavius yeah. Murray had. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I didn't love Madison on talent and film when I watched him, but it's hard not to, you know, have him dramatically bumped up after the draft due to draft capital and landing spot, you know, an upgraded offensive line and a running back who I'm right there with you. I think on talent is a top 10 talent running back in the league, but it's just struggled to uh, stay healthy. So Madison's definitely, I think from that group, the one that probably would be the guy I'd be targeting the most. So let's take this over to the pass catchers and let's start with the tight ends. Cause that's real quick. One or two questions. Are you more a Hawkinson guy or are you more a fan guy or like both? Love both. Love Hawkinson in real life. Don't love his landing spot, but I think it's okay. I like Fant's landing spot better and I like him a lot in real life. So they're my 14th and 15th rookies. And if I can get either at the, you know, the turn or a little later, obviously, the 2-4, two, 2-5, two, I think that's very good value, and I can see both contributing early by rookie tight end standards. I think they're very good prospects. 
But to be honest with you, the guy I get every time and I'm infatuated with is Jay Sternberger. I mean, Jimmy Graham is, I mean, you and I run better than him anymore. And this guy's going to have Aaron Rodgers throwing to him and they didn't add any receivers. Like, I keep looking at every rookie draft I'm in, like, what are all you missing with Jay Sternberger? I mean, did you watch him in AM? This guy's a stud. And I, I'm using middle to second round picks on him. And people are looking at me like, boy, you could have got him 10 picks later. I'm like, I don't care. I mean, I, he's the one I want. Yeah, and, and what what I really find fascinating is I'm I'm more with you in terms of where I have Hawkinson and Fant. I think I have him at 13, 14. You said you mm-hmm. had him at 14, 15. But it kind of goes back to this draft class. I'm seeing plenty of people who are starting to take Hawkinson and Fant in pick six, pick yeah, seven, right. in, in round one. Right. Like I, I have all four of those top tight ends, Hawkinson, Fant, Irvsman, and Sternberger in what would be considered my second round if, if we're talking about you know picks 13 through 24. Yeah, I, I, I like Hawkinson and Fant the most, but I think if, if, if Minnesota moves on from Kyle Rudolph, and I think there's a strong likelihood, I think Irv Smith's not that far off from him. I think he's the most ready in terms of route running. And then, like you said, Sternberger's landing spot it, it was fantastic. And I don't think his talent in terms of his receiving capabilities is all that far off those guys as well. So I think all four of those guys are, are, are second-round guys for me and vary a little bit in terms of I think Smith and Sternberger could be had more at the back end of round two. And Hawkinson and Fent, probably I'm not probably going to get those guys because I think most of those guys, both of them, I think are probably going to go in round one. And, you know, unless I was in real need of a tight end, you know, I'd probably just miss out on those guys. Where do you, you mentioned Sternberger, where are you on, on Irv Smith and do your feelings dramatically change in the immediate if they do move on from Kyle Rudolph? Yeah, I, I, I actually just got Hawkinson in my most recent rookie draft at two, three, which, Hey, if you're, you're going to give him a two, three. Yeah. I mean, I'm taking them all day long. But I'd be shocked if I own him much. And again, I really like the player. But if the Iowa guys cost a you know a hundred bucks, I'm buying you know Smith and Sternberger at seventy bucks all day long. And I talked about Sternberger. I think Smith's in that same neighborhood. I do prefer Jay Sternberger to Smith, not because Rudolph's in my way. I don't think that'll last long, and he doesn't run well either at this point. So I'm high on Smith as well, right in that same neighborhood with Sternberger. And the rest of this tight end class is kind of interesting too, but they're dart throws. Yeah, and speaking of those dart throws, before we move on to wide receiver, if you're in the round three or any of them slip to early part of round four, is there one from the Cahill Warring, Dawson Knox, Josh Oliver, or maybe one of the blocking guys that maybe the team thing has more upside athletically in terms of like a Foster Moreau or Drew Sample? Is there any of those guys that you would say that would be the one I'd like to target if the value is right somewhere in mid-late round three or early round four? Yeah, I, I really like Oliver's landing spot. I uh, like Waring's landing spot quite a bit, and both of those talents, especially Waring's. Um, but I would say not – and Moreau, too, for as cheap as he is. We saw Gruden scheme up tight ends last year. I mean, I think that's an exceptional landing spot for him. But the guy I've highly ranked of those groups is Dawson Knox. I, I think there's a real nice path for him. I think he's highly talented. Those receivers aren't all that frightening to me. So Knox is a guy I like to stash. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I like all those guys. I think Warren mm-hmm. might have the highest upside, but then followed by Knox. But even Oliver and even those other guys, like you said, Moreau, I, I'd be intrigued by them. To me, it's a really strong tight end class. Yeah. When we were talking about 2020, I don't anticipate 2020's tight end class even remotely uh, being as good as this year's class. I think that would be one area where it's a it's a big downgrade or drop off. I don't I don't envision 
you know, having seven guys we're just talking about, not even counting Moreau, who have legitimate fantasy, you know, viability possibly down the line in terms of their athleticism, their pass catching ability. So I do think that's one area of this draft class that was very strong. So this is the year to grab one of them. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm right there. You mentioned his name before. I have made it a point this off season where Wherever I can get Dallas uh, uh, Goddard, I am going out and getting him now and hoping that people are willing to part with him because Zach Ertz is still there. And I'm hoping that I can get him in just about every one of my leagues because I believe in the talent so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I know Ertz is scary, but I just want this player. Absolutely. So yeah. let, let's let's round out the night by going to the wide receiver position because I do think uh, you mentioned it before when you were talking about your top running backs that it sounded like Nikhil Harry sat atop of your wide receiver board. After that, what what does your wide receiver board look like? Because I don't think there is any any similarity with people's rankings after Nikhil Harry. Some people don't even have Nikhil Harry one, but I think that's mostly the consensus that he's at one. But after that, you know, I've seen four or five different people at the number two spot. Yeah. And again, I mean, I don't even do jumping jacks over Harry. Like he's my number one receiver. He's my number two rookie, but I might even rather have Montgomery and Sanders just because the position scarcity and immediate need and those type of things. It's hard to find running backs right now this year. But I do think Harry's a good prospect. I think it's a really interesting landing spot. And I have Mark Schofield on my Locked on NFL podcast all the time. And he hosts Locked on Patriots. He's dialed in with them. And we had a really good conversation with Harry. And right, right when he got drafted, I was talking to him and I'm saying, this guy's not Gordon or Moss. And we 100% agreed. I wondered, is he more Aaron Hernandez? Like, is he going to be lined up tight to the formation and block and not that he's a tight end, but is he going to be in the slot a lot? Is he going to be Marcus Colston? And, you know, he agreed with me, and then he said, yeah, and throw in some Corderell Patterson, you know, a bubble screen, or maybe he gets a reverse. He's good after the catch, but he's not super explosive, and Brady has been there so long that that playbook is so established. You know, it's really difficult for rookie receivers to learn it and to excel, I know that they're the smartest team in the league, and I know that for sure, and they absolutely have a plan in place for them, and I just laid out a lot of ways to get them the ball, including the red zone. There's no Gronk. I understand that. But if conceptually he's a step slow as a rookie, Brady's not going to tolerate it. Yeah, I mean, and one thing I've been saying about Harry, and you kind of hit it right there, if you go back and and look, a lot of Nikhil Harry's big production at Arizona State was him just down the field using his physicality and toughness to basically bully ball people. Brady doesn't really throw balls up for grabs, and besides maybe Gronk in his prime and, and Randy Moss in that one year, Brady's not really the, the type best of that's ever done it. Yeah, Brady, <laughs> right, yeah, I mean Brady's not yeah. really the quarterback ever, and especially not anymore. It, you know, even if he ever did, he's not really the quarterback that just says, "Oh, I'm going to throw it up and give my receiver a chance to make a play." Like Brady, is, precision and accuracy and yeah. thinking and dunking. He wants to see the guy open, you know, and and he, he loves working with the now short here at this split second, and I'll give you the ball. Yeah, yeah. and I tuck it up and best of luck. Absolutely. And I've said it before, and it seems so weird to say this about arguably the greatest quarterback ever, but you almost wonder if Nikhil Harry's best statistical production 
may come post Tom Brady, whenever that is, whether it's two years, three years, five years, who knows? And you don't know who the quarterback is. So that's obviously concerning because what if they don't get a quarterback, but at the same time, maybe they get a quarterback. That's more of a guy who's willing to push it and give them, you know, the Alshon Jeffrey type, you know, 50, 50 balls to go get. That's just not Tom Brady right now. So unless they do manufacture and do some Aaron Hernandez stuff, do some Cordell Patterson stuff, I'm just not sure how quick his, his his immediate production is going to be when we know how hard it is to learn that offense and and how much trust Tom Brady has in certain people in there. So yeah, he's my number one. But if you think about last year's draft where Calvin Ridley and DJ Moore were going, I was more excited about those guys and those guys were going in like the seven to 10 range. And that kind of goes back to what we were saying. Nikhil Harry, good prospect, but we don't really look at him as a top four prospect. And and that's where he's going. Yeah, right, right. And they're they're not going to just say, be Josh Gordon, line up in one spot, do one or two things. Because he, he isn't going to just run by people. I mean, he needs to do all those things I laid out before to really maximize his value. And in any system, that's hard for a rookie receiver, let alone in New England. Yeah, absolutely. So after Nikhil Harry, what does is, what is your top five look like? What does the rest of your two through five look like at the wide receivers? Uh, Metcalf, Brown, or Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Marquise Brown, Campbell, Debo, Butler, Hardman. But I could take all those guys in a sack and shake them up and be happy. I can make an argument that Hardman should be one. He's last on that list. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't love any of them, and I don't ever pick, I, I don't want to pick at 1-8. I don't want to pick at 1-9. Field offers. And I, I can make strong cases for all those guys, but not as strong as getting out of those picks. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I'm right there with you. And you didn't even mention the guy who I have up at at number two. And I know most people, I've been seeing him mostly go now early second round. And that's Debo Samuel. Because I kind of liked him on film before. He was like my number five pre-draft wide receiver. And I like the the, the San Francisco landing spot. But I I think I heard you and, and Ryan said it. And I've mentioned it as well. I am a little concerned that they will eventually go out and maybe it's next year's draft or next year's free agency and still go get that alpha X wide receiver. So I I think that's what's pushing him down the board a little bit. But I guess if they don't go and get that guy, I like Debo's landing spot as much as any of those guys. Absolutely. Is he better than Pettis? I mean, I like him. I just think that there's a lot of number twos here, you know, like, Paris Campbell's got a lot of work. Butler was my favorite, but he fell. I mean, he would have been my easy, you know, wide receiver one if he would have landed in a different spot. He didn't, so I'm going to defer a little bit on him. You know, how many balls is Marquise Brown going to catch? Paris Campbell is not a developed player. I don't love A.J. Brown's landing spot. Metcalf's pretty one-dimensional. Debo does a lot of things well, but is he going to even be – Third in what in 49 receptions this year? I mean, maybe. I mean, and next year he might still be third, and there might be a guy ahead of him. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, none of these guys look like alphas. Yeah, I mean, and I like I like Michael Hardman a lot too. He's my number three. Mm-hmm. But let's but let's put put it in perspective. If he didn't get drafted by the Chiefs, and I liked Hardman, he was like my number nine or ten pre-draft. But nine or ten is a big difference in top three or top four. If he doesn't get drafted by the Chiefs. There's no way he's being talked about right now. It's only because oh. it's the Chiefs, 
Tyreek Hill's probably going to be gone and people are, are drawing connections of their skill sets in some ways can be similar and used similarly. If he went to literally any other team in the NFL, I don't think he'd even be in consideration in people's top fives or top sevens right now. As a guy who some might say he's got a lot of development to do, he's a little gadgety, he's got to learn. But because it's KC, that's really what people are investing in, Mahomes and the fact that there's that vacant role of a guy from Tyree Kill's job, but any other team in the league, he wouldn't even be in this conversation. So it's just yeah. such a weird year. I loved AJ Brown. He was my number one wide receiver pre-draft. He ends up, you know, in Tennessee with who knows, you know, wh- how okay. to make sense right. of that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's okay. But I mean, he's probably best out of the slot. And they just gave a slot guy a lot of money. Like I thought they should be in the Marquise Brown. You know, I, I thought they needed a speedster and I like AJ Brown a lot. But they're going to run the ball a lot, and I think that they believe Henry's their foundation. Whether we should we think that should be the case or not, I am a Mariota believer. And back to Hardman, the you know the fantasy force is very very strong with Mahomes and Reed, so that can't be denied. But he wasn't super productive in college, and he, despite his forty time, he's not Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill's about as freaky as I've ever seen, you know, in that role. So there's going to be a downgrade no matter what. And, but I will say if in Hardman's defense, actually the guy I want to own is Sammy Watkins now, but anyway, um, Hardman maybe worst case scenario though, is the number three wide out in Kansas city. So he might have a higher floor than people realize. Yeah, I, I could, I could see that. I, I do, I do agree with you that, you know, that that is something to definitely consider. And I think people are considering that. Couple last names here. I want to pick your brain because you're a little bit closer to this. JJ Arcega Whiteside. I know Ryan, your co-host over there at Dental Blueprint. He's high on Arcega Whiteside and Deontay Johnson with the Steelers. What's your take on those guys? I mean, Arcega Whiteside to me just really looks like a year away. Like to me, Alshon Jeffrey won't be on the roster in, in their 2020 season. I, you know, that's what I think it, it screams. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel the same way. And then Deontay Johnson, you know, was they picking him? Is that a sign that they're maybe not enthralled with James Washington? Cause I like James Washington a lot last year. It seems like the fantasy community is really down on James Washington. Maybe they were never too high on him to begin with, but a lot of people I think are, I, I feel like there's almost more excitement in the fantasy community for Deontay Johnson, who was a third round pick, right? Than there was for, than there is for James Washington, who was a second round pick last year. Yeah. And I'm trying to pick up Washington every chance I get. And I am pretty dialed in with the Steelers. And even like last year we were at camp and I was living in Latrobe and watching every practice and the buzz was Washington. Wow, look at the catch this guy makes every game. And I talked to a couple of their dudes behind the scenes and you know had a cold one with, and they're like, we love him, but he's coming from a really different system, and this is going to take time. Don't expect him to have a, the lighted up his rookie year. And now I think they expect him to light it up as an outside receiver. And, and maybe that doesn't mean he's a, you know, a starting wideout for your fantasy team right this minute. But I bet his stock's as low as it'll go for quite some time, and he's going to be an outside-the-numbers dude. The problem is they have Moncrief and they have Washington who are really only outside the numbers guys. Juju's best in the slot, but has proven he can do it all now. AB could do it all. Switzer and Eli Rogers are pure slot guys. So they needed a guy, of course, will never replace Antonio Brown, but they need somebody that can that isn't just a slot or just an outside guy. And I do think that's what Johnson is. And 
I watched him in minicamp and don't look too much into mini, you know, rookie minicamp. And I'm going to, you know, but he, he explodes out of his breaks. He's a very good route runner. He's a little thicker built than I thought. Gets off press coverage well. Good after the catch. Pretty good hands. I know they love them and I trust them a lot. And I think he'll find a role early. So Johnson at the end of the second round, you know, 210 in that neighborhood. I'm jumping all over. So he is somebody I'm pretty excited about. Um, Arkega Whiteside is fine. And I do think he's very similar to Alshon and he'll be the new Alshon. And I'm very bullish on that offense overall. I'm the biggest Wentz believer in the world. And the offensive line looks like a three and four for the long term. And Miles Sanders, I think they'll score points and he'll catch touchdowns. And he has some of the cheat code of, I think he'll be a little bit better fantasy player than real life because, you know, he's just such a good go up and get it touchdown dude. So I'm okay with him, but Ryan likes him more than I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm all in on getting Deontay Johnson in the late second round. I think, you know, I think there's an opportunity there and I love, I love to end the night on this question because you're so close to the situation. I love Juju Smith, the player. When people were where people were giving up on him at the end of his collegiate career, he was a guy that was in the Devi community forever. And then by the time he became draft eligible and, and declared for the draft, it felt like a lot of people were low on him. And I know Matt and I here were were still like, he's really still very good. And then he kind of explodes onto the scene. And now I feel like it shifted the other way. And now people are looking at him as as maybe the one of the top handful number top two top three top four wide receivers in terms of dynasty where are you in that regards and not even so much the ranking if you want to share it you can but more in terms of do you see a scenario without antonio brown there that juju could become one of the elite elite like we're talking julio jones type production year in and year out or was some of his eliteness a product of the defense is focusing so much on Antonio Brown that now that the focus shifts, do you think he's going to be a very good player, but maybe not elite, elite level? Where's your take? Someone who's close to the situation. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, all the above, but in the end, I think he's more very good, not elite, elite. I mean, I think he's a very good player. Um, extremely young. Like we were in camp last year and he turned 21. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's insane how young he is. Yeah. And he is big and rocked up and looks better than ever. Um, and like I said, he's very much developed as more than a slot. I mean, he is improving. He's putting in the work, you know, say what you want to be Antonio Brown, but he's a crazy hard worker. And I, Juju realized that's what you need to be the, so then that way he was a good positive role model on Juju, in my opinion. But, especially without Le'Veon Bell in the lineup, you watch Steeler tape and Brown's always gotten attention, but I thought he got more than ever last year. Like you watch when they play Belichick and Belichick's just screaming for them to run the ball, you know, like, and and as the season went on, priority number two was taking away Juju. So it's not like he's had it on easy street, but if he gets the Brown treatment next year, because the Steeler weapons aren't that scary, it's going to be, difficult on him. I mean, he's not going to put up AB numbers. He's not going to just fall in that line, in my opinion, because Brown was special and Juju's really good, not special. 
Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I love the player, but I, I've just been, I've seen some people have him right near the top of their dynasty wide receiver yeah. ranks. And I, I like Juju a lot, but like, I'm not sure his talent level is like that of a skilled player like Odell or Julio. I, I think he's a tier in terms of talent a little bit below those guys. Yeah, I kind of have him like with Keenan Allen and Diggs and Amari in that neighborhood. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I don't have. But you full- can win a lot of games with those guys. 100%. 100%. It's just, I, it'll be interesting to kind of watch. And listen, he is so young that maybe he could still even evolve and develop into more than what we even think. And maybe he'll be able to handle those double teams and triple teams and, you know, focus mm-hmm. of the defense, you know, and he, you know, we listen, I don't think a lot of people ever thought Devontae Adams was going to be able to do that. Yeah, right. And over the last couple of years, I mean, he did it with what, two years ago, he did a great year with Brett Hundley for half the year or whatever. So, you know, there's some guys that at Maybe when they come into the league, people don't think they have tra- that transcendent talent to do that. But then they kind of develop it. And Adams is a perfect case of that. So Juju definitely could have that trajectory as well. So that'd be fun one to follow. So Matt, thank you so much. This was an absolute blast to talk to you, talk this through with you. Let the audience, I'm sure most of them are following you, but let them know uh, where they can find you on Twitter. And you already mentioned 4 for 4, but anything else you want to promote that or anything else? Yeah, I do a, a non-fantasy Locked On NFL podcast every day. I'm about to record it now. Of course, it has some fantasy overlap. Check that out. Uh, Ryan and I do the Dynasty Blueprint. But follow me on Twitter. I post everything. I'm at Williamson NFL. Um, scouted for the Browns. I mean, I, I've been around. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you're following him. Make sure you're checking on the Locked On Podcast. I know that's in my daily listen as I go to and from work every single day. Good stuff there. And then obviously always the Dino Blueprint. Him and Ryan McDowell do an excellent job. So thank you so much again. Uh, greatly appreciate you coming on the show. So guys, on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.